0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Once again, the Business Creators Radio Show is coming to you from my sumptuous balcony in Las Vegas, Nevada, looking at this beautiful pine tree it's sitting right in front of me with all the acorns just ready to start falling off and we are going to have ourselves a really good time today on our show I have somebody who I'm going to introduce you to in just a moment who's going to be a real treat somebody we've wanted to have on this show for a while and we are so happy that we are finally able to make our schedules line up this one's about conscious conversations Mastering the Art of Collaborating, Creating, and Building Trust with Others in Business and in Life, something very passionate for me. In fact, it's one of the underlying themes of my book, Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, which is why I'm happy to bring in the author of Conscious Conversations. His name is Chuck Wisner. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Chuck Wisner is a highly sought after thinker, coach, and teacher in the areas of organizational strategy, human dynamics, and leadership excellence. He spent 25 years as a business and personal consultant and a trusted advisor to leaders in high-profile companies across industries. His methods are anchored in years of leading-edge research, theoretical development, and the practical application of the foundations of conversations. Chuck is currently working as an advisor with leaders in their teams at Google, Apple, DT. E Energy and Tesla, all of which, as you know, are Fortune 200 companies. And he's also worked with companies like PSEG, Harvard Business School, Toyota, the Detroit Mayor's Office, General Motors, Shell, and Chrysler Motor Company. Chuck Wisner, come on in. The weather's fine.
2: Thank you. Thank you. That was a generous introduction. (laughs)
1: You know, having read that, I'm not sure if I'm qualified to be here, and this is my show. Anyway, (laughs) what what we like to do here, before we dive in, and we are going to have a conversation about conversations, is we like to ask our guests to tell us a bit about your personal journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion.
2: Well, okay, let's see. I'll um, make it short. So my formal education was as an architect. Okay, and, and then I practiced uh, in Boston for twenty years, and became a partner at a small firm. And in that in that partnership, when we were a small firm, uh, it turns out that one of our partners had a drinking problem. And when we were, when we were seven people, that wasn't a problem. But when we became forty people, that became a problem for our clients and our and our staff. So we hired in some help and uh, took us. Uh, Three tries to get a good person to help us out, right. and this person came in and sort of listened to us and asked us really good questions, helped us sort of see things we weren't seeing as far as how we were relating and how we were talking or what we would talk about and what we wouldn't talk about, and 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 led us through this. Her name was Linda Reed. Led us through this, and in the end, I was like, "How'd she do that? <laughs> you know, how did she make that? Was that was like magic? You know, I, I um, and I." I've always had a deep sort of interest in philosophy and psychology and spirituality, and her work just spoke to me. And then over the course of four years, I retooled myself. I, you know, retrained. I did mediation and a bunch of other things and studies in the uh, study called the ontology of language. And four years later, I left architecture and I jumped ship. That was it.
1: Wow. That's, yeah, yeah we, we come from interesting backgrounds and I've heard all kinds of stories, of the 400 and some guests we've had on the show over the past eight years. Yeah. Very, very interesting answers to the question. What is that job that I had or what is that career that I had that people today would not believe that I did? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's like when I tell people that I worked in uh, the managed care industry from the, from the insurance angle and uh, were they or when I tell them that I was, believe it or not, a temp recruiter, So there were a number of things we've all done that have, in their own way, informed what we become, sometimes in ways we don't see until it's retrospectively. So let's define some terms here that lead to this whole thing about conscious conversations. And let's start with why is miscommunication so common? And Mm -hmm. believe me, there's miscommunication everywhere. We could speak about this from any angle. Any, so any angle, yeah. lead the way.
2: Yeah. So, so what I've experienced is, and I've, you know, so I work with people around strategy to just everyday hiccups in conversations, whether it's at home or work, but what I've experienced is we, we grow up in a family and in a culture with religion and education And we just learn to start talking and we learn to have conversations. But in general, that's all a beautiful thing when things are going well, you know, and it's like, you know, it's everything is lining up. But when things go on tilt, um, that's when we like get stuck. We go, oh, God, how did I get myself into that mess? Or how would she ever say that to me? Or, you know, whatever the situation is. And so so in a way, the phrase I like is we are like fish in water. We're humans in conversation. And what I've tried to do with my book, Conscious Conversations, is to sort of deconstruct all that so we can have a better understanding of how conversations work, how the interactions work and what makes them successful and what makes them fail or what makes us stuck. So it's this idea of, of, of not being in conversations blindly, but being in them with much more uh, awareness of, of, about them so you can navigate them more successfully.
1: Yeah, I'm sensing that there's an issue with listening here. And why do, we struggle, <laughs> why do we struggle so much with that? Seems like for now we're going through some of your talking points, but I'm already building up my own set of questions here. This is going to be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. So why do we struggle with listening? Well, for one, the made, my book is structured around four major types of conversations. And the, the first major conversation is the most important one, a foundational one, is storytelling. So we, we actually, there's a lovely quote by a, a scientist, Muriel, uh, oh, I'll think of her name in a second, I can't remember it right now, Ruckheiser. Um, and her quote is, the universe is made of stories, not atoms. And I, I love that because if you really think about it, no matter what's happening, whether your kids are driving you crazy or, or you don't like your boss or you're very successful and you like what's going on, we, we, we have stories that we create and we live by those stories. And that's the beautiful thing. It's also a be- it's a beautiful thing until also until it's not when a story limits what our capabilities are or when we get stuck in a story. Now, how do I connect that to listening? I believe that you can read as many books as you want about listening, about mirroring the people, repeating what they say, uh, asking good questions, all of that. However, if you are, if you have a narrative that you're telling that you can't, uh, that's closed, They're like this is how the world is. This is the world according to Chuck. Um, then, while you're talking to other people, that narrative is running in your brain, and you it actually limits your ability to truly listen uh, because you don't have space as, as much space in your brain to just put your narrative aside and really try to understand where the other person is coming from. Does that make
1: sense? I wonder if part of the reason that this doesn't happen is because of a sense, well, if I listen to this person, does that mean I'm agreeing with them? I've been in situations where I have conversations with, with friends of mine who have radically different views on various things, whether you want to say yeah. religion, politics, uh, right. the what flavor of ice cream is the best, what have you. <laughs> and uh, they've given me indicators that they're pretty fast in these beliefs it's unlikely that i'm going to be able to get them off those beliefs if i even right. wanted to right. so in those right. cases and i've had people observe me in conversations with these folks they, they say yeah man I, s- I saw you chat with him and it seemed like all you were doing was listening and nodding or, what side are you on here and i said what why how am i on a side uh mm-hmm. he was t- he was telling me his story and i was listening uh yeah. i was nodding to indicate that I was engaged with the listening experience just because I was listening to him and allowing him to speak his truth uninterrupted doesn't mean I was agreeing with him or was being persuaded by him. And then there's another layer to that where the person who's doing all that talking in the conversation may get the idea. They persuaded me. No, they didn't persuade me either. I was genuinely interested in how they view certain things through the lens of their truth, which is created through their combination of education, experience, and what they've gone through in life. Right. So why would I interrupt that? Because that's solid gold.
2: Why would you interrupt that?
1: Uh, that, that was um, a rhetorical question. Why would I interrupt? Yeah. That? It's a solid yes. gold. Oh, right. But, but yeah. if you want to answer the question yeah. of why people would interrupt that, that's a good follow-up.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, and I agree with you, there's certain conversations where you can just listen because you know the person is stuck on their narrative. You know, and you and you might have tried in the past to move them, um, but you know you you see that there's no movement. So you can you can listen and you can appreciate that they have a narrative that they really believe, and that's that's their choice. Um, but it's okay not to sort of engage in that conversation. It's okay to even walk away from some conversations where there's no space for mutual learning. Um, now, why would you interrupt? The the second conversation, the first one I mentioned is storytelling. The second conversation type is collaboration, and there's a whole art in how we advocate and how we inquire, how we tell our stories, and how we ask questions. And sometimes asking really good, good, honest questions—not loaded questions where where you're where, where you're you know setting up an inquisition—but really good questions to help go help them and help you understand their position more deeply. Um, and that's that's not, nor- the norm isn't to ask good questions. The norm is to have your narrative and ask questions to sort of prove them wrong. So your narrative is, is, is proven right. Right. Does that make sense?
1: Dollars and cents. Well, sometimes yeah, it yeah. takes away from the dollars and cents and we'll develop that. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, but this, this art of balancing, you know uh, how how we uh, how we tell our stories, and and how we ask questions, is 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 really fundamental to the ability for any conversation to go beyond two say two people with holding a position with fists like with you know like I I believe this and you I believe X and you believe Y yep. and we're holding them on our hand like fists right, well all we're going to do is you know beat up on each other right. And, and I in the book, I have some techniques where you can actually don't give up your position, but you have your position with, a, with an open hand because there's a lot embedded in any narrative. There, there is a lot of stuff going under, under the hood. And if you know what those things are under the hood, you can ask questions to help reveal and help more deeply understand what's going on. So this art of sort of telling with an open hand is very inviting to other people, but also asking questions to really try to understand the other position more deeply.
1: Well, and you know, that's what I look for because I wanna get motivation. I wanna understand the motivations. There's a philosophy, Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly where it came from. It's called the five whys. The idea being if you ask why five times in a row, you'll begin to get to the root issue of what's going on so yeah um, right. know, and, and again this is not a political podcast nor do I wish to make take a political position uh however think about <laughs> in 2020 when we had uh the riots and cities were being burned down and things like that which is by right. the way a rerun of stuff that's been happening in our country since the very beginning there's really nothing new there right. and I'm hearing people I thought were educated right. uh that I thought were empathetic saying well uh it's so if you if you're focusing on the damage and destruction, then you're focusing on the wrong thing. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what? We're okay with destroying people's <laughs> homes, their businesses, their livelihoods. Yeah. Now, yeah. I started yeah. asking why, why, yeah. why, why do you take that position? And uh, yeah. and I got some answers, and then yeah. that led me to more wise and more wise and more wise and more wise. And, and before you know it. I'm uh, deep in a rabbit hole uh, figuring out what happened in Watts in the 1960s. And it became (laughs) became very clear to me the reason why people see that as a viable option. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to say, okay, let's burn everything down. But what it does lead me to say is, okay, now we have an idea of what's really going on here, what's really causing this stuff, what's been flowing underneath the surface for decades if not centuries so let's surface it all and how do we solve this so we can just break the cycle and not have this yeah. have to happen anymore
2: yeah yeah it's 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 the ultimate human conversational dilemma right <laughs> right yeah um, because, and, 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 you know,
1: break, and i bring it up as a bit of an extreme example one that's going to get people to sit up a little bit and say wait a minute why are you talking about that on a business podcast it's because right. it illustrates the point that if you keep asking why, you keep digging, you keep being willing to listen, you can discover things that amazingly may agree with your point of view more than you expected.
2: Yeah, 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 and, and the, the asking questions is, that's really a great starting point, and the whys are terrific. Um, uh, it, it's it's sort of the, uh, not a sterile, not Aristotle, it's the, um, what is the other uh, his uh, the got, other guy you've
1: got aristotle you got socrates and yeah so all those other guys yeah,
2: no but you the socrates the socrates method was asking questions and, and right for a good very very solid good reason um so i yeah i think that's beautiful because i think this notion of more and i use the words more deeply understanding because when people are telling their narrative they're telling the they're telling what they believe a, 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 as an end result, but underneath there are all those things that they, they were trained to think, or they, or their religious beliefs, or their cultural beliefs that are buried underneath. So I actually, I actually have five different questions that resonate through every conversation that we, that I'm, I'm sorry, every, for every conversation in the book, every type of conversation, these five questions, really give us a very short uh recipe for for a investigating our own thinking because that's where it all starts if i'm stuck and i'm not willing to do my work my ability to ask questions of others or to open up to others is severely limited once i do my work and investigate then then i'm much more likely to show up in to the other person with an open hand to truly, uh, honestly, and humility, uh, with humility, understand their position. Yeah. So, if you're interested, I can tell you those my five questions.
1: Please do. Mm. And 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 to our and to our listeners, this is the part where you make sure to subscribe to Business Creators Radio Show and your favorite network, so you can go mm. back and listen to this again and again and again. It's also mm. where you have your pad of paper and your two pens out to capture aha moments. Take it yeah. away, Chuck. Okay,
2: so uh, like I said, these are these are questions that resonate through all four types of conversations. But I'll I'll use the storytelling conversation as the base, uh, so I can bring examples out in that in that conversation. Right. So when I talk about doing your work, we all live in stories, and we have stories not only stories about politics and religion and the world and what a good restaurant is and what a good ice cream is. But we have stories about ourselves that are deeply, deeply um, embedded in our thinking. And I'll give you a quick example. When I grew, I grew up with a, uh, a, 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 in in Southern Pennsylvania. And I had a very, I'd call him a redneck, um, Racist.
1: Where, where at in Pennsylvania? Because I grew up just south of Pittsburgh.
2: Oh, I grew up in York, Pennsylvania.
1: Okay, I know where that is. I've been there several times. I have some friends. Yeah, in. go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah, great place to grow up. I'm glad I'm not there anymore. I mean, I feel Boston, the same. But... I
1: feel the same way about south of Pittsburgh.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So pr- pretty, pretty intense um, grandfather, and my father was a great guy, but he was also a you know, he was a man's man and a hunter and, a, you know, blue collar worker. And, and that's all fine. Except I had three older sisters and I was the youngest and the son. Right. And so as I grew up and I had these three sisters that were all girly and doing their thing. Um, but what I grew up in this atmosphere was and this is not a new story. Many men have probably told this story. I grew up in an atmosphere where I couldn't cry. Or I couldn't show my emotions. Yeah. And so if I didn't like dragging the deer down to the basement and having to skin it and clean it, um, because it literally would make me sick, um, the message I was given was, you're not a big enough. Be a bigger man.
1: Be a man. Be a man. Finish finish these five questions. I got a story for you. Keep going.
2: Okay. So anyway, I, I give that as an example to say. When I was doing my studies and when I was learning about the power of language and how much it, how much it um, generates what we experience in life, I had to, I had to undo that story because I grew up with a story in my head that I wasn't a big enough man. And literally it wasn't until I was like in my late twenties that I busted that damn story. So how do you bust a story? Number one is start the ground level to start with is what is the reality? What are the facts on the ground? What's true? And that sounds so simple, but yet we, for, we, we skip that step because we love our stories and our opinions. Um, and, and, and so we skip that step. But in my example, the truth was I was 28, say I was six feet tall. I was happily married with two young, beautiful sons. I was an architect in Boston. But all of those facts were total counter to the story you're not a big enough man. And it, 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 it was amazing how just that grounding sort of helped. You know, the our stories don't go away. We just sort of, they, they lose power. And how that sort of helped me sort of realize that wait a minute i'm living by something that ha- doesn't have a whole lot of reality connected to it it's a good way to go insane um so w- anytime we're in a situation whether it's with ourselves or with other people st- starting by saying what's what is the facts what are the what are facts do we know and what facts can we agree on because we often focus on what we disagree on right right but it's a, it's a, you know, and even when I was doing mediation, that was always a ground place to start. Like, what can we agree on here? Um, And so, and then the, the, the second thing to understand about stories is that they're only made of two things. They're made of facts and they're made of opinions. Now facts are, are hard because we forget, we forget to check, uh, uh, what we want it ha- to happen in life with what's happening. But opinions get really complicated because that's where we now have all of our baggage and all of our history, good, right. bad, and ugly, you know, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle because uh, the good stuff serves us, but the bad stuff really gets in our way. Yep. And so for opinions, uh, if, if you, here's a, how I, I wish I could draw a picture Um, if you think of a bubble with called your this this circle is your story and then inside there's these facts if we little nuggets of facts if we're willing to look at them and then there's this big bubble inside which is your opinions right now what's interesting is all of that stuff is what is generating how you think about something and how you think about something internally is what generates your emotions right so your emotions aren't like Coming out of the blue, the anger just doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere because of your beliefs and because you said this shouldn't happen, that should happen, right? So, so we have to take the time to say, okay, so whoa, we we can deconstruct all this. So when we decon, we our opinions are so complicated. We need to take them apart, and what we take them apart by asking four more questions, because inside every opinion you have, um, uh, I'm not a big enough man. She shouldn't treat me that way. Bosses shouldn't act that way. It's a, you name it, right? All the judgments that, that we all can live by and get stuck in. Um, the four questions are for every opinion you have buried underneath that you might not be consciously aware of are, are desires. You have some unconscious or unspoken desires. What do you want to have happen? What is your goal here? Right, um, and desires are a beautiful thing because they 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 make us think about the future. They make us think about where do we want to be next year. But they're also uh, they also have an ugly side because if your desires aren't lined up with reality, that's where we suffer. Right? Yeah. I want I want my kid to do this, and in fact, my kid is doing this. Right? That and and if I can't close that and come to peace with that. I I suffer a lot. Let me just pause and ask if that makes any sense.
1: Dollars and cents so far, and I'm starting to see the dollars. Keep on going.
2: Yeah. So okay. So like for me, uh, as far as the opinion about you're not a big enough man and desires, um, what what um, you know, I I, I was um, I was pretty driven from an intellectual point of view and learning and creating, and so that that was not a problem for me that, 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 that it was, you know, I was doing what I was doing. The, the so that not all of these questions apply to every situation, but that just wasn't a problem. It's like, okay, I'm on board. I'm doing good work. I'm happy with what I'm doing. Right. That was not a problem. The second one after desires, the second question or third question is an issue of issues of authority. And this is the power issue. So every relationship we're in, whether it's with our kids, our parents, our boss, our colleagues, our friends, there are power structures everywhere and hierarchical things hiding out in the corners everywhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Everywhere. Because we, you, one friend might tell you you had a great podcast. I mean, a shit, a, a, sorry. One friend might tell you, you had a crappy come. They,
1: they, 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 they said your podcast was shit. You're allowed here. Yeah. Okay. They yeah. said
2: your podcast was shit. And another friend and you go, oh, screw you, I don't care what you think. You know, you give their voice no power just because of that relationship or what, you, what your story is about them. Another friend might say that and you go, whoa, I want to pay attention, tell me more. How can I make it better, right? Right. That's between friends. Now put that inside of a business, put that inside of you're trying to sell someone something and there are these, and there's hierarchy and power and authority issues hidden out everywhere. Um, hiding out everywhere, um, and and I believe me in my work with senior executives that this is a constant theme of of where stress points are. Now on my situation, big enough man. Here, I what I came to realize through asking the questions is, oh, when I was ten or nine or ten or whatever age I was, my grandfather's voice and my father's voice was like they were. They, they had a big, powerful voice. They knew what the world was about. I was a, a, a kid and innocent. So, b- no matter what they said to me, whether it was true or not true, reality or not reality, I took it in because, because I gave their voices a lot of authority. Right. Well, by doing that work, I was um, unable, I was able to go, oh, I see, that's their story about who I should be. Uh-huh. But I don't have to carry that anymore. Right.
1: Yeah, I'm with you.
2: And so it, that that was a huge piece. And to this day, be, you know, as I was doing my learning and practicing all this stuff to this day, it's a it's a constant theme with my I have grown men in my, as my kids. It's a constant theme. You know, they I can say one little criticism and they act like I just told them they were like terrible human beings <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because of the power they give my voice. Um, so that's a complicated one because it resonates in so many dimensions of life. Uh, but, um, I'll I'll move on unless you have a question about that.
1: Well, so far I don't keep going. Okay. So we'll we'll talk about, we'll talk about might be a man's story after you're done because this is, this is where the solid gold is.
2: Okay, good. Um, so, um, then the, the third, um, uh, the fourth question there's facts and then there's these four questions. I, I think it's a better way to think about it. The yeah. third question is, um, what are you concerned about? You know, what are, you, what are your concerns? And so every time you have a judgment, uh, she should have given me that raise. You know, he should have accepted my proposal. You know, uh, my husband should have never treated me that way. Under every judgment, we have a concern that usually is in the background of our consciousness. It's not, for, it's not in the forefront of our thinking. But yet concerns are really quite legitimate. They're because we don't want tomorrow to look like today. We, if, if something is going awry, we, we don't want uh, our, our kids to suffer, or we don't want this business deal to fall through, or we don't want to work for this person anymore. We want next week to look a lot different than today. And no one can take your concerns away because they're usually pretty legit and they're yours. Yeah. But what we do is we forget. we forget to talk about them. Part of the reason is that for all for many of these things are unconscious, but things like our concerns and our desires are so, uh, they make so much sense to us. They're so obvious because it's how we live in the world that, that, that that's why we think, well, of course, why wouldn't the rest of the world think this way? <laughs> or, or why wouldn't he think that, you know, it shouldn't be this way, but it should be that way. Um, so concerns are often a lovely way to Uh, break down a way to begin to break down a conversation. that might feel uh, contentious or difficult um, because it's a very humble way to say, you know, I I have a concern that, you know, if, if we don't look at, if we don't take a better look at this or take a broader look at this, that we might be failing or we might be behind the eight ball three months from now. So it, it's a very powerful question that, again, plays out in many different domains of life and uh, especially uh, from small to large. I mean, whether I'm taking out the trash, doing the dishes or whether I'm showing up for a, a seminar with a client. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, and then the last one, and and they're all very, they're not, they're not in any order that says one is more powerful than the other. Uh, and this last one is one of my favorites. And that's every judgment we have, every opinion we have. There is a there is a boatload of standards underneath your opinion of why you have that judgment. And I, yeah. when I say standards, I'm talking about you know everything from you know uh, how you do how you mow the lawn, how the bed is made, to what you think about the strategy for the company should be. And standards are really fascinating because. Most of the, time, I guarantee most people's standards, 90% of them, they didn't choose consciously. 90% of them, they adopted from their family, from their culture, from their experience, from their history. Uh, and so we, but, but yet they are a main driver of why we find ourselves in negative judgment spins often. Right? Yeah. Now, if I relate that back to my story, Oh, I see. I, they were, they were, they were doing their best, my pop and my grandfather, because that's the standard that they lived by. Yep. They didn't know any better. They weren't uh, trying to purposefully be jerks, you know? Um, And so, and so it was, it was able, I was able to go, wow, they were just doing their thing, but I don't have to live by that standard. Right. I, I have a whole different standard of what it means to be a good man correct. Yeah. So that's a mouthful, but that with the facts and those four questions, you can untangle a whole lot of crap.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And see, I've done a lot of studies in things like resonance repatterning, inheritance, mm-hmm. inherited, inherited trauma, uh, how things pass through the generations and what they all, one thing that all these different studies include is making sure you're aware that whatever argument you're having with your spouse, significant other, parent, or child, is the Mm -hmm. exact same argument that your ancestors are having four generations back.
2: Right. right. And when
1: you you can appreciate that, then you begin to recognize that there are cycles and there are things handed down. Now we have to remember that many human beings don't know what they don't know. And they also don't know that they don't know something. And they don't know that they're supposed to ask. And they don't know that there are questions to ask or what those right. questions would be. So therefore right. they do the best they can. And yep. I believe that part of a goal that we hear expressed by many parents is they want it to be better for their kids than it was for them should yep. include looking at some of these cycles. So yeah. I come from a background of that myself and if my family members are listening I've said this to you deal with it. Uh, <laughs> I rec- I recognize that uh, you know you know my Forebears did the best they could based on the information they had. And uh, in many ways, that uh, some of the things they said and some of the things they did were candidly disastrous. Now, I don't hold that against them as an adult because I recognize this is resonance reparenting. This is inherited trauma. These are the same cycles showing up again and again and again. However, I'm not content to. Sweep it under the rug. When somebody says to me, Why are you still thinking about that? That was 20 years ago. My immediate retort is, Well, why is it coming up again? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I and I don't mean that to be sarcastic or anything. I mean yes, it to yeah, open a conversation, like, to open yeah, to open exactly. a line, open a line of discussion. So we recognize these things and we're able to take them, analyze them, understand them, and put them on a shelf somewhere where we can see them where they need them when we need them. Yeah. But they're yeah. not resting on our shoulders all the time. That's how yeah. we can break the cycle and use that learning to foster continuous improvement. So uh, when I see people, who, and, I, and, I, and I just in some of the story that you told, because I was paying attention to your story, it was substantially a similar thing. You, had, you were raised a certain way. You recognize that the people who raised you uh, meant well. They did what they felt was in the best interest of you helping you become a man. And you also recognize that there were certain lessons that were certainly yours to take and benefit you as a man now. And there are other things that, you know, similarly deserve that level of review retrospection and take it on a shelf. We put it where you can see it, but don't carry Mm -hmm. it around all the time because that's not going to help you be a man.
2: Yeah. Or, yeah. Or help you change so you can live a a different, better life. Right. Right. And I love, I love you brought up that, the, 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 the history and the patterning because what I, with my clients, and actually in the book, A Fair Amount, I, I really like to, to help people begin to observe their thinking and their behavior as patterns, be, uh, because it takes a little bit of a sting out of it. Like, God, how can I be such an asshole? You know? Yeah. But it's like, you know, it takes a little sting out because, wow, look at that. There's a pattern there showing up. And now, and what's really going on, and you probably know plenty about this, is when you when you can label something as a pattern, you're just getting a little bit of separation. So that pattern isn't you, but you're able to witness the pattern, right? And that activity of asking the questions and recognizing the pattern and asking the questions—that's how we become free of these patterns, sort of being our identity and 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 our unconscious behavior, right? Right. So it's 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 phenomenally powerful uh, to to be able to just sit back and go, well, let me investigate that with a lot of curiosity uh-huh. as, an an- as an antidote to judgment. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, so here's the story I wanted to share, and this takes a good four or five minutes, so enjoy. Um, okay. I, yeah, we all have fears. Uh, for some people, it's heights. For some people, it's rats. For some people, it's cats. And for some people, it's hypodermic needles. That would be <laughs> me. Um, I, 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 I love cats. Uh, rats don't bother me, and heights are okay as long as I'm not uh, teetering on the edge of a cliff. So I'm, I'm good with that. But yep. uh, but uh, the idea of having metal shoved into my skin uh, causes an immediate fight or flight reaction that is overwhelming and causes me to pass out. So wow. there's an extreme case of trypanophobia there that's been there since I, for as long as I remember, it's always been an issue. I don't remember a time when it wasn't. So- wow. uh, so over the years, it continued to multiply upon itself and get reinforced to the point where I once passed out from having my blood pressure taken, and then there was wow. a time where I heard that sometime there was going to be a blood drive somewhere, and that caused me to zonk out right in the middle of the dining commons at Penn State. <laughs> that that's how that's how bad this that's, got, that's and, and, this is, bad. And, this, and this isn't something that I can control. I mean, this comes at me there is no yeah. warning there are no slight right. little symptoms to say hey you might be heading toward this you might want to put the brakes on or start thinking about baseball or something no no right.
2: boom It just bam yeah right yeah, yeah. so yeah.
1: when i so when i hear oh you gotta just be a man well i am a man yeah,
2: yeah. and
1: here and here's how i deal with this as a man i've gone through uh various hypnotherapeutic exercises i've done meditations i've wrap this into my studies of uh, inherited traumas, resonance patterning, things like that, and uh, put it all together. And what I've ultimately uncovered is that the root of this comes from when I was maybe about five or six years old, and our family physician uh, decided that the way to get me to take a shot was to have his assistant shoved me down onto the examining table and pressed my head into it while he jammed the needle into me with deliberate malice and said, I don't have time for your shit, little boy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So now there are more more layers to this. Uh, People in my family who are around today were in the room when this happened and they swear that it never happened. And if that doctor tried it, they would have punched him unconscious. Wow. Yeah. But no, no, they were there. They they were there. So, yeah, yeah. so I don't hold that against them because part of my studies lead me to recognize that them having fallen that short in that moment mm-hmm. is in such conflict with their personal view their their truth that mm-hmm. they don't want to allow it into their consciousness because it creates so much conflict within them that that was a time that they themselves were not perfect. Yeah, that they and so and they... so and so so I so I. I, I I don't forgive them because there's nothing to forgive.
2: Right, right. And yeah. you know, just just that's a great story. And and just you know, what in the moment that that was happening, I'll I would lay money that at that time. Uh, uh, I don't know how old you are, so but at that time,
1: I'll, t- I'll tell you, forty years ago. Yeah, yeah, So at that, yeah. so, so about so forty years time, ago.
2: Yeah, forty years ago. Right, forty years ago. People treated doctors like gods, you know, Right. in many places, you know, and so there's a power issue. There is an authority issue. We can't speak up against him. He knows what he's doing. He's the doctor. Yeah,
1: you know? I, I that, remember I remember a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he's a doctor. But uh, but he's a lawyer. But uh, right. But, but she but she's but she's an executive. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, it's like you, you hear you hear all this stuff so you know yeah. and, and that's certain- and, that,
2: and that that trumps their their personal stuff because that, that right it's it, the power thing just like they oh i'm just gonna let my what i think is not uh-huh. worthy but what they're doing must be yeah. Right, right
1: yeah and the reason the reason i say wow. and the reason i say i don't forgive the people who are in the room because there's nothing to forgive is because yeah. i don't see if they did anything wrong yeah. I believe it was actually so traumatic traumatic for them that they yeah. had to repress it. So they were as much victimized as I was, just in a different form.
2: In a different way, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, and, yeah. And, and now your body, you know, we have 850 billion neurons uh, telling us what to think every second. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and and your body has that memory. And it's not, it's not like your body has a hard disk in it, but your body takes when something like that happens, a needle comes near, He's saying, Oh, I remember, I remember, I remember something like this. And so you better run, you better get the hell out of here. Cause it's not oh, safe.
1: Oh, oh, the conversation doesn't even go on that long. As I said, as I said, I go straight boom. from, I go straight from life being bliss. To boom. Yeah. And I, right. I start, and I start clamming up and, and the room starts going white and, and I, yeah. and I, and I start to forget where I am and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the, so the, wow. another part to this story is, Uh, You know, over years, I've discovered that a lot of this has to do with a sense of feeling you're in control of the situation. And when you go to many medical facilities, there are these bright, white, sterile areas under fluorescent lights that are already very unfriendly, and they're usually cold and impersonal and uncomfortable. So already, so already you're at a a disadvantage. Now, beyond that, and going back to what you said about, you know, you know, we're supposed to treat nurses and doctors as authority figures who can't do wrong. And, and that's right. been planted over generations where they're human like anybody else. And I can also see from the medical professional's perspective that dealing with trypanophobic fate patients can be challenging for them because they're afraid that uh, this person might you know, jerk their arm and cause damage right. or they themselves might get punched as a result of an involuntary reflex.
2: Yeah, no like uh, like yeah. I, like, yeah. Uh,
1: like one time uh, I had a root canal done and uh, I was seeing a new endodontist because it was my first root canal. And uh, I want I wanted the version where it got fixed in 90 minutes, not the one in three visits like my regular dentist would do. So I, I mean, I <laughs> want it done fast. So I go to this endodontist yeah. need to do the thing where they put the topical where they're going to inject the the novocaine well actually in this case it turned out to be septicane they're really good stuff and yeah. uh and so the endodontist put the swab in left it in for 10 seconds whipped it out and then he comes at me with a needle and i Woo! blocked his arm with mine wow. it's like whoa it's like uh wait wow. a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait. My, my dentist says that uh you know my dentist gives me five minutes on this and he said well you're not going to need it uh my topical is about as strong as his injection. And as I'm getting ready to respond to that, I feel my gums go numb off his topical. It's like, wow. okay, all right, I'm good. Bring it in. <laughs> but would it really, would it really... So, so I saw that endodontist the second time when I needed the second root canal three years later, and yeah. uh, he put his topical on and left it in, and we're just hanging out, and three minutes later, he says, okay, I remember from last time, and I want to respect you and make sure that you feel you have input in this decision, so... I need to put the septicane in, but you decide when I do it. Yeah. I, I didn't feel any fear.
2: That's great. I, just, because,
1: because it was simply a matter of understanding being in control of the situation, which often is not granted to patients. Yeah, uh, They're yeah, being and, and shoved along, put on a conveyor belt, let's jam it in. I mean, this whole thing with the vaccines, they call it the jab. And I've said again jam. and again, stop freaking calling it the jab. And if stop doing
2: it on TV yeah, every five seconds. Yeah, right? you've
1: got, I mean, you've got, you've got 50 million people in the United States alone who are believed to be at some level of trypanophobia. And you want to call it the jab. And then you want to achieve 80% immunization. Yeah, uh, you yeah, might want right, to work right. on your language and your communication a little bit yeah. here.
2: But you know, that, 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 that doctor, that dentist that just said to you, I want you to be part of the decision. That seems so simple, and so, but it's so subtly powerful. Yeah, that he that he was saying we're partners here. Right. You know, he, he took the authority thing away. He took that power play away. <clears throat> so that that was a he's, he's a good guy. <laughs> Just yeah. stick
1: with my, it. My, my regular dentist was really good that way, too. Um, he would leave yeah. the topical in for as long as he wanted. In fact, uh, in fact, as I went through the exercise, I remembered that one time there was somebody in my family in the room when I was a kid and they tried to hurt and they tried to hurry him along. And he yeah. said to them, "Your son is not ready to have me stick the needle in yet. It'll go in when he's ready."
2: Yeah. Wow. Wow. We. That's great. That's and, great. Uh,
1: and then and for that reason, I, ne- I never had that issue with the dentist either. And any and the other dentists I've seen since then, I've never had that issue with dentists. Yeah. I also yeah. never had that issue with dermatologists because the ones I always worked with had the same thing going on. So it's a simple matter of communication. Uh, and, yeah, uh, and, and and what I. And,
2: and psychological safety, yeah. I mean, they, they're really yeah. willing to let, let you be, find out how you can be safe.
1: Right, yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and just to finish this up here is, uh, <clears throat> is you know, uh, through the exercises and developing mechanisms for this, I developed that if I know that I need to get uh, an injection, an immunization, a blood draw or something like that, if I need to, if, uh, if it needs to happen, then I schedule it a week in advance, that gives mm-hmm. me time not to dwell on it, but to right. prepare for it. So right. if I so I start doing my meditations, I start doing my visioning, mm-hmm. I start getting myself prepared for it, and that gives yeah. me enough time where if I where it seems like my own efforts are coming up short, I can get in with a hypnotherapist and uh, do another exercise to really amp things up. So that when I go in there, I'm fine. Uh, but it's just, a, but yeah. it's just a matter that I have a role in it. And another thing I was taught is to assert my rights as a patient. A couple of years ago, I was in the emergency room for something that turned out to be nothing. And I had been told at the urgent care that was referring me to the ER that, oh no, there's no, there are no injections. There are no blood draws. There are no tests involved in this. They're just going to do an ultrasound on you. I'm going to call ahead and let them know about your trypanophobia. I got there. They'd received no phone call. They try to say, oh no, buckaroo. I don't know about this no blood draw thing. And at that point I started to see the fogginess and I knew, okay, here, here it comes (coughs) again. I, I'm yeah. feeling the boom coming on, and at that moment, I'm told I, I didn't pass out, but I was not fully conscious. For this, I'm told that I actually stood up and and put myself in the posture. Where I was ready to get in a fist fight with the with uh, with the with the, uh, with the, <laughs> the nurse. That was going, that said that to me, yeah. uh, like I had my Dukes up and everything, and yeah. uh, and I and I made them explain to me exactly why they felt that they need to stick needles into me. And I uh, apparently took them down a road where within about a minute of me asking the questions, they became exasperated with it and said, look, we'll make you a deal. As long as you pass the ultrasound, we won't do this. But if, we, but if you fail the ultrasound and you have a blood clot, then we're gonna have to, can you agree to that?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. It, that's when I start remembering things again because again yep. it goes back to the idea of me having reclaimed my power. They probably thought they were gonna come in, just you know, have me say, Oh here's, yeah, here's, here's here's my arm, put the tourniquet on and fill me up but like a porcupine. Have, just go for have, it. No it's, it? Yeah. no, it's not gonna happen. No,
0: it's not gonna happen.
1: And I and I actually challenged them on it and uh, and made yep. them. Demonstrate that there was really no need for them to go on their little fishing expedition. I was there to make sure yeah. that I didn't have a blood clot, which could be resolved through an ultrasound. It takes a picture; you see yeah. it or you don't. Right. right so,
2: right,
1: right. so I wow. think. So I think part of, and again, we have about ten minutes here, and I and I, you know, yeah. I know this has been an interesting road we've gone down, uh, to say the least. Uh, and it's both of us telling our stories, going back to your whole thing about the story is being so important about yeah. the conversation we've just proven that is yeah that uh it's through our stories that we have power exchange that's what i'm getting out of everything that you and i have discussed
2: yeah and it's through our store and our stories actually determine our our stories determine our thinking internal and external and also determine our behavior and so when people say i don't want to i never want to um feel that way about a needle again or i never want to eat that goddamn pie so i gain 20 pounds again right <laughs>
1: I like you, man. Right? I like you. Uh,
2: and, and the trouble is that if they don't look at what underneath, like your your the underbelly of your story about why needles are frightening, or the underbelly of why they why they want the apple pie, or when they started eating apple pie at night yeah. when they were ten, they'll never change their behavior. So this this quality of investigating, being able to investigate our stories, and, and then and then of course how do we do that with other people as well? That That is that is what it's all about. That's how we become conscious of our conversations. Because right. otherwise we are just in conversations like autopilot. We are on autopilot and I, I like to call it sleep talking. You know, we're just sleep talking half the time. Um, I want to get in just to the last two conversations. Please do,
1: please do, please do.
2: So we, we have storytelling, we have collaboration. If you and I do our work and we're able to enter into a really good collaborative conversation. We're trying to solve a problem or we're trying to help each other undo something. Um, and we're really doing that openly with the open hand I talked about. Yeah. The collaborative conversation automatically, automatically becomes a creative conversation because We're like it's almost like we're creating space in our mind, you know, because now our story isn't just, we're not stuck on our story. There's different ways of think things and, be in the world now. There's space, and you and I are saying, "Well, what about this? And what about that?" And we start saying, "Oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. Um, we could do this, you know." And so that 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 creative conversation is is a conversation that we've all experienced, but we don't consciously have.
1: Uh, wow, that, that's that we, interesting.
2: Yeah, we we just sort of you know expect it to happen. But my my point is. Especially in business, Um, we we sort of skip over that conversation, uh, except for some. I mean, I have some really excellent teams I work with that really appreciate the value of that. But that is about creating possibilities. So you see, the more you're stuck in your narrative, and the other person stuck in our narrative, we're like we're like we have blinders on, and there's all these possibilities, almost like quantum physics, floating around out there, but we can't even see them because we're so focused on our our goal or our desire or what we think should happen. And so the, the, the idea of giving yourself permission to wonder, giving yourself permission to think about possibilities outside the box of your normal thinking is enormously freeing. Um, and, and then those three conversations, if we do those well, including the possibilities conversation, the last conversation that we live in day and night, and are, are clueless about is, is the commitment conversation. Because the commitment conversation is about making requests, offers, and how we make promises to people. And we make promises that from the moment we wake up to ourselves, I am gonna brush my teeth today. I'm not gonna do my stretches. I'm not gonna do this. I am gonna talk, You know, I'm, I'm gonna solve that problem with my wife. Oh my God, I have to go to the office. I told them I'd be there at 8.15. We live in a sea of promises. Except we do it unconsciously, so we make sloppy promises all the time. Yep. Yeah, you know? and um, and th- so the antidote of that is the there's there's promises that we make, commitments that we make. There's a really interesting recipe uh, uh, or sort of a, a diagram of how that plays out and what our normal patterns are. Uh, like someone says to you, will you? Will you uh, get the report to me by tomorrow morning? Or can you give me the numbers for tomorrow morning? And generally in business, especially, and also in social situations, we pretty much are addicted to yes. We're pretty much Uh addicted to sure, I can do that. No problem, right? Yep. Right? And now, okay, I say sure, or you say sure, and I walk away. I go have my dinner thinking, he's got it covered, man. I come in the next morning and I get your, your numbers. And it's like, what the hell is this? I, you know, this isn't nearly as detailed as what I wanted. Right. And, and so now we have a broken promise and, you know, and so now you're, you're, I'm upset with you. And I, I, then I started saying, Oh, I, I, well, you know, I don't think I better work with him anymore. I can't really trust what's uh, what's going on here.
1: Yeah, um, we're, we're, yeah. We're, I mean and, and where do I think that comes from because I've heard of some before. It's uh when we're told as children, uh say you're sorry, I'm sorry yep. and you'll never do it again. I'll never yep. do it again. <laughs> and then the ne- and then the next time it happens, whether you intended for it to happen or not, it's like, what happened to you saying you'd never do it again? Well, that's yep. really not how the world works because that you know, there, there's two problems with that whole conversation. Maybe they aren't really sorry. Yeah, and uh, and sometimes that's okay. And yeah. uh, as far as saying you'll never do it again, how do you know? Because if there's yeah. an especially if there's an underlying pattern or right. right or some sort of inheritance that drives that thing happening that, that is stronger right. than any promise anybody could make. It's going to happen again because your verbal promise isn't going to stand a, a snowball's chance in hell against 2,000 years of inherited history.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so again, all we're left with is, see, an apology, uh, sorry, sorry, isn't an apology. It's just sort of a surface, you know, okay, let's, let's move on here. Say you're yeah. sorry I move on. There's no learning. There's no lesson. There's no promise of what you'll do differently. You know, I, I think a request without a possible no isn't a request and a broken promise or bro- a broken promise that that you that I broke um, isn't a, a, an apology until I offer amends Until I say, you know, yeah. here's, what, here's what I can do the next time. Or here's what we can do together differently the next time, because we're then saying, OK, let's try, let's practice changing our pattern. But right. It takes, that takes effort.
1: Yeah. You know. Um. You know. I just want to mention. Uh. You know, There's this one time. There's this really small client that I had a long time ago, and he's he's a great guy. Uh, he's uh, yeah. referred to me by one of my other clients, and they were friends going back a long time. Well, this client all of a sudden falls off the grid. Now I'm not hmm. worried about it because it's a small project, and I know that this small client actually travels around the country a lot, and uh, what they were paying me to do wasn't even high priority. So, uh, he, uh, kind of just fell away and I thought, okay, he'll be back. And, mm-hmm. uh, then abruptly one Friday night, I get this scathing long email from him about how, uh, I had totally just dropped off the face of the earth that, uh, <laughs> that if, that if he hadn't been traveling so much and had been around to ride my ass and made sure I upheld my promises, we wouldn't have these problems. So what did I do? I hit him right back three times as hard, 10 times as hard. Mm. <laughs> and I was and I, I put it to the way where the only way he could get out of that was to beg my forgiveness well yeah. he did he did reply and he said oh okay uh, tell you what uh, when can we when's as soon as we can meet because I'm really excited about getting the project moving forward and getting this done Amazing. so we and yeah. so we scheduled a time and we actually didn't yeah. discuss it again
0: so yeah. Yeah. I yeah. actually yeah. cite
1: that as an example of one of the greatest apologies I received even though yeah. he never said he was sorry the reason being, is he simply demonstrated through actions that right. he recognized his role in the miscommunication. And I, you know, I in my in myself, I didn't discuss with him, but I also recognized I could have maybe like pinged him a couple of times, say, yo, dude, it's been two months. Where are you at? Yeah. But as I said to him, I said, look, you're a friend of so and so. You paid me for the whole thing up front. Uh, it's not that big a deal. And uh, and so I never had any question you would eventually be back. So rather than bother you with this, I just decided to work on your time frame.
2: Yeah, right. Rather than bug you about it. Right. Yeah, there, it's interesting because even the even the commitment conversation, the promises, the, the sloppy promises we make that, that result in broken promises. There, right. there, there's a missing link there. There's again inquiry, asking questions. Like before you say yes to anything, someone asks you to do, just ask three questions. You know what what would a good result look like what time do you want it what you know just ask some questions because every everything that every agreement you make is far more complicated than we think when we first you know say sure no problem you know
1: yeah and i think that's and and i think that's a great place to wrap up because we are actually out of time i'd love to keep going forever man but uh but so let's turn it over to you one last time uh People may be on the edge of their seat right now wanting to discover more about these conscious conversations you outlined in such great yep. detail for us. Uh, where do they go from here? Uh, you know, what, what, do they, what do you have to offer?
2: Well, they can go to my website, which is chuckwisner.com. And that'd be great if you'd sign up for, because my book is now being shopped to publishers. It'd yep. be great if people could sign up so that when the book gets closer and I have some uh, you know, titillating sort of uh, excerpts to offer people, uh, there be on the mailing list, um, and then also on chuckwisner.com. There's a little blurb about the book, but there's also about ten articles that I've written in the last six months or so. Yep, that sort of dive into different different areas. Um, so that's a great place to get a hold of me. Uh, if anyone wants to stay in touch, I'll ask ask to to uh, ask to follow me on LinkedIn because I sort of keep track of that, and I also post a lot of things on LinkedIn. On, on a, or, 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 I post something daily anyway. Awesome. So, yeah. Awesome.
1: So for our listeners, go to chuckwisner.com. Now, if you're listening to this live, uh, there may not be a book there yet, but if you're listening to this three years from now, I bet mm-hmm. you go to chuckwisner.com and there's a book available for sale. So whether you're listening to it now or later, the smart move is to go to chuckwisner.com. And with that, Chuck, thank you so there much you for know. being with us today. It's been an Bye. honor and believe me, an education.